welcome to podcast number 29 for Thanks for Your Service. Thanks for Your Service is a news and information resource and its focus is on historical topics relating to the Australian military. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for Thanks for Your Service. Our website is www.thanksforyourservice.net. We're back for 2020 after a long break over Christmas and the New Year. I had the opportunity to meet up with Brian Tateson, who is the Vice President and Memorabilia Officer at the Box Hill RSL in Melbourne, Victoria. Brian served with C Squadron, 1 Armoured Regiment in Vietnam. He joins us for a chat. Can we talk first a little bit about 1st Armoured Regiment and the history? I understand that it was raised after World War II in 1949. It was, it was. Uh, the regiment was basically formed after that after World War II. Um, they were very active actually in the, in the islands up here, in the uh, top of Australia. There was, uh, the, reg- the armoured regiment goes back a long, long way and for me to go back into the history of it, I'd really need to look up the books and everything like that. Mm. But having said that, my involvement with the regiment was with C Squadron, and uh, C Squadron were the first really squadron to go to war after the Second World War. So, if if we if we go back to in terms of your of your military involvement, can you start off start off by uh, telling us how? How were you enlisted in the army? Were you a Nasho? Well, I was a Nasho. I was a Nasho. Um, I was called up. At the time, I thought it was the worst thing in the world that happened to me. But uh, when I look back now, in, in later years, it it was the best thing that ever happened to me. And being with the squadron, it was a small bunch of people, not like a battalion where you would wouldn't know. Joe, who was right over there or whatever, I knew everyone within the squadron, which is great. So know. how old were you when you were called up for national service? Um, I was eight, I think it was 18, and then I went into the army at 19. And, and where were you living at that stage? I lived in Hawthorne. Okay, so yeah. a, a Melbourne boy. Yes, I am. So yeah. at 18 years of age, or roughly 18, you, you were called up, your, your, your number came up, so to speak, and um, where did you go for your recruit training? I went to Puckapunnel, and uh, it's a funny story because when you did recruit training, you had three choices. No one wanted to go into infantry because they knew that they'd be going over to Vietnam. Right? When, when, in terms so, of your national, when did it start? So you, obviously you, we'll talk about your deployment to Vietnam a little bit later, but um, shipping off to Pakapanyal, do you remember when that was? Well, first of all, we went to the barracks at uh, Richmond, boarded a bus and then went to Pakapanyal. When was this roughly? Oh, well, I was the eighth intake. And it would be March, April, around about that time. Um, 1967. Okay. Yeah, 67. Um, and uh, did recruit training. And as I said, you had three choices. I put down, I wanted to be an engineer, in, go into engineers. 
for that after that I wanted service corps and I thought how am I going to stay away from the front line I'm going to I'm going to go I'm going to be a cook I got my third choice which was a cook so being a cook I went up to Bonnie Giller and did another three months you had another three choices and being a party boy I thought I need to be close to Melbourne, I need to go to Broadmeadows, Watsonia, or Puckapunyal. I got Puckapunyal, that's when I went to the squadron, and I went to the squadron as a cook. So, um, so you completed your, your recruit training, and then yeah. you went on, on your, on your three-month training to, to, to be a cook in the army? Yeah, so I went straight to the squadron from there. Right. As a, as a cook, is that as correct? A, as a cook, Right, yeah. okay. And um, so, come... Uh, come deploying to the squadron. Where, where was the squadron located then? It was located at Puckapunyal, mm -hmm. at McRobertson Bank Barracks. Um, it was a big unit. You know, you had uh, A, B, and C squadron. Uh, I'm being prejudiced here. I have to say, C squadron was the top squadron. You know. Um, so from there, we went to Canungra to do jungle training, which was the hardest thing that you'd ever want to do. Mm. Um, I used to row and I thought that I was pretty fit, but I came out of jungle training much fitter than what I was then, you know. So from there, after jungle training, we were actually shipped off to Vietnam. And uh, focusing back on Canungra, how long was the jungle training for? It's about three months. In terms of your deployment to Vietnam, what, what uh, do you remember the time period? When, when did that occur? Well, the first lot of um, deployment from Sea Squadron was in February of 1968. And uh, most of the squadron went over from there. And then the rest came over in dribs and drabs. Was this the first deployment of tanks into Vietnam? Yes, it was. So C Squadron was first? Yes, it was. And, and how did you deploy in terms of, did, did, you, did you go by ship or were you flown in? And, and how did no, they get no. the tanks across? We actually flew into Vietnam and the tanks went by boat. Mm -hmm. And they were all floated at Cameron uh, um, Bay and, and Vung Tau, mm -hmm. sort of thing. And then, of course, they were driven up to Nui Dat. And where, where we were. And, and, and when you arrived in, in Vietnam, when was that? I arrived in uh, February of 68, late February of 68. Yeah. And uh, I didn't leave until February of 1969. I was late and I got home to Australia in early March, so yeah. So in February 68, you're flown into Vietnam. Were the tanks already there when you arrived? No, no, no. So um, we, we went over with Qantas on the Boeing, you know, thought it was a great trip over. <laughs> but uh, I'll never forget the first time I saw uh, Saigon, the river, the winding river. And of course, when they opened the plane, that you could that smell, you know, never left you, sort of thing. You know. Can you describe the smell to us? A lot of people talk about the smell of Vietnam, don't they? They do, and I, it's very hard to to describe it. It is just that smell that's there, sort of thing. 
took me a long time to go back to Vietnam. It wasn't until 2004 when I went back with a uh, group of guys mm. and sure enough, when they opened the plane, you knew you were, at, you were there. You were near you, back. You knew, yeah. So February 68, you're flown by Qantas into Saigon and then and then shipped down to uh, down to Fuktui province in Nui Dat where the Australian yeah, Task Force yep. were yep. located. Um, can you describe for us the the, the, like the, the the base arrangements, how were you how were you housed? The tanks weren't there at the time, so what, what, what did you do? Well, they weren't, but, but the, the tanks actually came in pretty quickly. Um, we all lived in, in, in tents. We were in the rubber, um, and uh, there was a part of the clearing, it's, you know, for for uh, the servicing of tanks and everything like that, so um, yeah, it was well set up. You know. and, and, and the tanks that we were talking about are um, were the Centurion tanks. Yes, they were. Now, um, from a novice perspective, tanks in Vietnam just don't seem to fit the picture. So, can you talk no, to us a little bit don't. about, the, about the role of the tanks? Yeah. In, in well, look, warfare? when they arrived, they had side plates on them. And the side plates are obviously to protect the tracks and everything like that. But when they went through the jungle, they just couldn't move because all the, all the jungle was tied up within the tracks. So they ripped the side plates off and it was just fine, you know, the way they went. You know? um, to clear the jungle out, that they used a put a canister around up the, the spout and let it go, and it would just it was like a big shotgun. It blew the the place apart, you know, and it made a clearing for them to get through. As a cook, our CO Major Peter Badman insisted that uh, when the tanks are out on operation that they have one hot meal a day. He insisted that. He also insisted they have a shower, the guys have a shower. So I actually took meals out in hot boxes out to the troops who were actually out in the jungle sort of thing. So I, although being a cook, um, I was out in operation with the tanks a, a lot of the time. You know. for, for, for pretty much your whole deployment for 12, 12 months, you, you, you remained as a cook uh, with, with, with the squadron. Um, if, if we look at Nui Dad as the base itself, what, what were the messing arrangements? What sort of equipment did you have to use? Um, the how, messing how, how, arrangements? Yeah, how, how well were you set up in terms of a, of a, of a field cook uh, well, for the time there? The, uh, the kitchen had uh, petrol burners, you know, pump them and away they'd go sort of thing. They were quite good. The supplies were good. They were all dehydrated meat. You know, you hit them with some water and away they go, they'd expand sort of thing. And I'll tell you a story about uh, nine, Christmas of 1968. So the eggs were ether. So you'd, you'd break open two dozen eggs and the cook and the, and the smell of the ether was just horrendous, you know, it was. It, it would just, just knock you for six, yeah. yeah. In 1968, the, the uh, ships supplying 
goods to Vietnam all went on strike. Everyone went on strike. We didn't have a can of beer, we didn't have mail, we didn't have anything, didn't have food. And we were at that time at a place called Julia, Fire Support Base Julia, and we were out there for a long, long time. I was out there for about two or three months, I think, for memory. So we had to do something to get Christmas dinner, and a down couple of clicks away, there was a big American base called Bean Cat. So a friend of mine, a colleague of mine, jumped in a GP and I, and we went to the Q store and said to the Q store, what have you got to trade? And the we used to call the bloke that guy because he stuttered and everything like this. So this is a true story. And um, he said, look, I've got, the GP boots used to come in L's for left foot and R for right foot. I can't remember what it was, but he had a box of L's or R's left over. So I said, pile it in the Jeep, we're off. We piled it in the Jeep, went up to Beer Cat, got to the mess and I said, look, we've got GP boots to trade, we need turkeys, we need beer, we need cranberry sauce, and they loaded up the Jeeps with everything. And uh, I can always remember, like I said, we'll get effing killed here. So I handed the boots over and did a high runner for the, and everyone had their their, their Christmas dinner. The Christmas treats. Yeah. And, and, and you mentioned that you're out on deployment at the fire support bases. Yeah. What was the concept of the fire support bases in the uh, in the campaign in Vietnam for the Aussies? Um, there was quite a few fire support bases. And they were literally set up to stop the enemy coming down further. And that's what they were there for. Um, they'd be often rocketed at night. Um, you'd go out on ambush. Um, and it was really to stop stop them in their tracks. Mm. So, well. so obviously the first Australian task force had the large base at Nui Dat. The fire support bases were deployed out in, into the jungle to supply again to provide the fire support to, mm -hmm. to infantry patrols out. What were the role of the tanks with the fire support bases then? The role of the tanks, um, they supported infantry. First of all infantry said these things, they're, they're hopeless, you know. but. Then when they went on patrol, they always wanted the tanks there. And the tanks supported infantry, you know, to the hill. They really did. And, and you mentioned, I mean, obviously some of the, the, the most famous sort of fire support bases we know is Coral and, and, and Balmoral. Coral and Balmoral. And, and you were involved with these as well? No, I wasn't in, I didn't go to Coral and Balmoral. Mm -hmm. um, you hear of Long Tan, mm. of the of the people who were killed at Long Tan, but if you look up the history books, there were more people killed at Coral and mm. Balmoral than what there were at Long Tan. Mm. The casualties were very, very high. When when you were deployed out of the fire support bases, obviously you didn't have the, the facilities you had at uh, at, at Nuidat, for example. How did you cook for the troops? How, how were they messed out of the fire support bases? Well. Julia, for instance, and I mentioned earlier on we had these stoves. 
they actually had stoves out and we cooked for them out there. Um, the rationing wasn't that good. We had to use what we had. Bully beef was there and you had bully beef pasties, you had bully beef burgers, you had bully beef whatever you could think of, you know. So that's what we we had to use out there. So you were you, you were both and the eggs and, and the eggs and the yeah. eggs. <laughs> so, so you were both at Newy Dat and, and, and the fire support base, Julia, yeah. say for example. Yep. Um, at, at the end of your at the end of your deployment, we're coming up to what February March nineteen sixty nine. Yep. Um, in, in terms of your demobbing from Vietnam, what, what what happened with that? Well, I came back to Australia. I was flown in during the night, and. Um, we landed at Sydney and we were told we were not allowed to go out of the airport. Only those who lived in the Sydney area and blah, blah, could get out. Um, we weren't too sure what was going on, but we found out that there was a lot of hostility about the guys in Vietnam and everything like that. When we got to Melbourne, I was wearing my summer uniform and I had my bar on, you know, with my medals, and I felt very proud. But when I got to Melbourne and the hostility was really incredible. And the sooner I got that uniform off, the better. Because it's 69. It's 69. Um, 69 yeah. Australia was at its height of its opposition, I gather, to, to Vietnam. So again, yeah. the environment wasn't great. Did you stay in the army or what happened? No, I didn't stay in the army. I actually had a bit of leave up my sleeve before I was um, demobbed at uh, Watsonia. Um, but I really couldn't stay in the city, so I went bush. I, I had to go away. I had to get away from it sort of thing. Um, and I think a lot of guys did that. I know a lot of guys did that. And... Um, I can remember that we had a march and we had a march through the city, the, the whole squadron, and we were thrown with red paint and called baby killers and all this sort of thing. That was really, to say disheartening would be an understatement, you know, it really was. Um, but then we had the Welcome Home Parade. Which was 1987, I yeah. think, for me. Yeah. Yeah. And that was great because the people started to accept us, all the Vietnam veterans, not only our unit, but all the Vietnam veterans. And I think, and I know that veterans went through a very, very hard time. They didn't have any counselling or anything like that. Um, I th it still plays on their minds. Our 20, uh, year, 20th year reunion. And that, to see all the guys again was just fabulous. It really was, you know. Um, and then my wife said to me at that reunion, she couldn't understand the bond that we had together. It is a special bond. And I think Vietnam veterans have that special bond, mm. you know. You can talk, you can be sitting at a bar and you'll talk to a Vietnam veteran who you didn't know as a Vietnam veteran, and they just click mm. straight away. Mm. You know, it's a great bond. You know, one that no one else can have. Mm. You know. When did you start your involvement with the RSL? 
I started in 2002. My friend, who is now president, Johnny Howard, and I served together. And he said, why don't you come out to the RSL? Uh, at that time, I didn't want anything to do with the RSL. So I did. And um, in 2004, there was a group of guys who wanted to go back to Vietnam. And I went back to them then, with them. and. I have to say that experience was just unbelievable because it was the first time ever that the Australians had met the enemy mm. face to face. Mm -hmm. And that was a guy called Colonel Klim who led 242 Battalion at the Battle of Long Tan, mm -hmm. you know, so... He, he, he was NBA North, North Vietnam. He North, was, North he was. Army, we also met the Viet Cong, yeah, yeah. so it was a... Fabulous experience, one wow. that I'll never forget. Wow. You know. yeah. yeah. Look, thank you again for your time today. I really no, appreciate fine. it. A total of 58 Centurions served in Vietnam and two crewmen were killed in action during one armoured operations. That's the podcast for today. You can find the relevant links to this podcast on our Facebook page. We're keen to hear your feedback. Leave a comment on our Facebook page and if you're listening to us via iTunes, please leave a review. You can also email us at info at thanksforyourservice.net. If you're interested in sponsorship or support of this podcast, head to our website or email us. You can also support us via Patreon. The link is www.patreon.com forward slash thanksforyourservice. Thanks for listening. <laughs>